Well, we're in a sermon series that we're calling Family Matters because we're digging into the Bible to understand better what it means to be the family of God. Not a corporation, not a club, not a clique, but a family of God. And so to get our heads around this, no better place to go than key passages in the Bible that should shape our thinking because we don't get to just think whatever we want to think about what the family of God should be like We want to think like God thinks. And what you're going to see some more is that when God thinks about the family of God and talks about the family of God, he has two priorities, unity and purity. Two priorities for the family of God as far as he is concerned, unity and purity. And if you think about it, folks, not giftedness, not how well you understand the end times, Is it not lack of unity and lack of purity that is such a put-off to unbelievers so often? That's why for God, he knows we're still sinners. He knows it's going to take effort, but he wants there to be unity, and he wants there to be purity in the family of God. So two weeks ago, we dug into the whole unity thing from Ephesians chapter 4, and we saw it will not be automatic. God has done everything necessary through his son, Jesus Christ, and the gospel for there to be unity. But every single one of us has to be working at this. And you're going to see something very similar today and next week about purity. Purity is possible, but is not automatic. But we need to work together towards this in our own lives and assisting others around us in the family of God to that same end. With, you're going to see it again some more, hope you remember two weeks ago, with all What is the key ingredient? Humility. You gotta have humility to work towards unity. You gotta have humility to work towards purity. So we're gonna dig into Matthew chapter 18 today and next Sunday. Two weeks we're gonna sit right here in Matthew 18 to try to understand this better. So turn there with me and follow along as I begin reading in verse one. Matthew chapter 18, verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Nothing new under the sun, right? Human beings are always jockeying for position. That's the key thought. Where do I fit? Am I ahead of other people? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at me a minute. You know what Jesus just did? He said, back it up. Never mind who's greatest in the kingdom. Let me remind you who even gets into the kingdom. That's a bigger question. Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse four, therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, from verse five on, every time he mentions little children, he's not talking about that physical human being that's little. Now he is referring to his followers, his believers, his disciples, People make a mistake when they think he's talking about little children have their own angel and little children this and little children that. Now he's shifted to we are his little children. Verse five, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's talking about his disciples. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, Oh, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that one sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, You've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. He's quoting from Deuteronomy there. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now next week I'll pick it up there and go to the end of the chapter, but that's enough to chew on. That's more than enough to chew on today. So what does Jesus want us to understand about purity in the family of God? Well, the first thing that's worth noting right out out of the box is that just like unity, purity begins with humility. So many essential spiritual things. I hope you realize this when you read your Bible. How much of it? Say it again. When you read your Bible, so many things. Essential spiritual things rest on the soil and foundation of humility. There are so many things the Bible talks about that you can't even get there consistently and effectively without humility. In other words, here's my first point, number one. Your spiritual life can't even get off the ground, can't even begin 
until you see your great need for depending on someone other than yourself. And that's shocking to us as human beings. You remember the account of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, Lord, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And he pointed him towards the law. Not because Jesus thinks that's how you get saved, but that's how you're supposed to see your great need, how far you fall short. And the, young, the guy begins to say how well he's doing and keeping all the law. And then it says, he went away sad, but Jesus loved him and spoke truth to him. Problem? It was all about him and how well he thought he was doing in keeping the law. When it's all about you and how well you think you're doing and that you merit God's favor, you can't even get in the kingdom. You can't get into the kingdom until you see your desperate need. And so what Jesus is doing in these first few verses of Matthew chapter 18 is reminding us of the shocking and counterintuitive way that any of us even gets into the kingdom. And that is when you come to the very end of yourself and how well you think you're doing or, or what you think you bring to the table for God and you cry out in childlike dependence and desperation knowing I need someone else to save me. I cannot save myself. Look at it again in verses three and four. Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly I say to you, here's this visual illustration they're looking at a little child and we all understand how dependent they can't take care of themselves surely i say to you unless you are converted and become as little children you'll by no means enter the kingdom see in other words no one is born already right with god you have to become a child of god you have to be converted you have to be born again so let me ask you What about you today? Are you in the kingdom? I see you're in church. Guess what? That's not synonymous within the kingdom. Did you know you could spend a lifetime in the church and an eternity in hell? Oh, I don't want it to happen to anyone in our church family. In the church is not synonymous with in the kingdom. Are you in the kingdom? Never mind the purity of our church family for just a minute. What about the condition of your soul and your relationship with the God of the universe? Is God your father? And are you his little child? Not asking you if you're religious. Not asking if you're open to spiritual things or have any level of spiritual interest. Most people today still do because they're created in the image of God. I'm asking you, are you spiritually alive because you've been born again, converted, because you came to the end of yourself and all your religion and all your efforts and all that you thought you brought to the table and said, oh God, save me. Have mercy on me. Give me what I don't deserve because I could never be good enough. I could never keep the law. If you say, yes, Brad, I am, then Jesus is saying, 
That only happened because you came to the end of yourself and you saw your great need for a savior. And most human beings just bump hard up against that and don't want to be that needy, that dependent, that desperate. So childlike dependence and humility is the very starting point for spiritual life. But now, what keeps that spiritual life going and growing? Oh, that's what we want to dig into now. My second point, number two, your spiritual growth will only continue, it'll only continue when you see your ongoing need to be fighting sin and helping others to do the same. Ongoing need. You see, here's the first thing to get a hold of. This fight against sin starts with a commitment to get radical about your own sin. Oh, don't get up in arms about someone else's sin. That's what we're good at. We see their sin. Their sin is bumping up against me. Their sin is impacting me. In this passage, Jesus clearly directs us to start this fight with a commitment to getting radical about your own sin first. And he's not talking about a half-hearted fight either. Did you notice that? He's not talking about a half-hearted fight because he knows that sin is still very much alive in our flesh, even as Christians. Now, I know some of you, I get pushed back whenever I go here, but I'm gonna keep going here until he takes me home or they boot me out. There's some Christians that are like, oh, they can't stand to hear that they're still a sinner. They can't stand this concept. They gotta fight sin. We're saints, we're saints, we're saints. The Bible continues to talk about you being a sinner saved by grace. So here's what the deal is. You are no longer a slave to sin. Hallelujah, go crazy over that. Celebrate that. Bring out the pom-poms. One's grace and one's mercy and shake them both hard. But don't dare begin to think, therefore, I don't have to worry about sin in my life. I don't have to fight it. I don't have to be alert to it. I don't have to be careful. That's not how the Bible talks at all. You're no longer a slave. And you now have a new power. And you've got the Holy Spirit in you. And resurrected Jesus is there to help you. But oh my goodness, it's going to be a knock down, drag out fight at points to the point that you'll need the help of others which is why he calls you to a church family to not fight alone it's like yeah I'm no longer a slave to sin have you ever thought this every time you hear that try to tell your flesh that your flesh keeps saying I still love it the Bible nowhere says and your flesh will no longer be attracted to it oh your flesh is still very much attracted to it and wants to respond to the siren call of sin because it's a voice your flesh has known you're the one that will have to say wait a minute based on the scriptures based on what God tells me I don't have to do this anymore I am not a slave to sin but oh my goodness I will have to fight sin this passage is saying that, heart, that fight cannot be half hearted you'll have to be willing to take drastic measures. In other words, it won't be enough to just swat at sin. I'll have to be aware of it a little bit and swat at it every now and then. And you certainly can't play around with it. What he's saying is you will have to get radical in your fight against sin. And let me say this. 
If you don't get radical about it, you just might be destroyed by it. That's what he's saying. So don't hear him saying the way you earn God's favor and become a Christian is you fight so hard against sin, God finally says, way to go, enter in. You fight so hard against sin because you are saved. It's evidence of being saved. It's the fruits of salvation. And when you don't and you just say whatever, it puts a big question mark over it. Have you been set free? Do you even know Jesus? Do you want to please him? Do you want to follow him? Is his spirit in you? The fight is evidence of saving faith, not the way you earn it. Does that make sense? So I know this can be tricky, but it's like we got we to gotta have in mind what the Bible teaches. It's going to be a fight, but it's a fight worth fighting, and you don't fight alone. You now have the spirit within you and resurrection power assisting you. Look at it again in verses 8 and 9. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter life lame or maimed than having two hands and two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Those are sobering words that should set the tone for how serious and radical. In other words, those two verses bring before us that your fight against sin should involve radical measures, radical amputation, big inconveniences in your life, willing to do radical things to keep from going down that same path of sin, rather than saying, well, I gave it a shot, but it must just be who I am. That's just who I am. I'm an angry man. I'm somebody who worries. I'm somebody who just finds it hard to be committed to one woman. I'm just going to commit adultery. No. No. You're willing to take radical measures to keep from going down that path. In other words, here's, let me just say it. I don't hear Jesus saying like I hear some Christians, professing Christians say, hey, if you've asked me into your heart and you prayed the prayer, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner Come into my life. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. If you've asked Jesus, if you've asked me into your heart, then it doesn't matter how you live. You can live with gross, unrepented sin in your life and look like every other unbeliever, but can know you're going to heaven. I hear mamas talk that way about their children. Well, we know he's a Christian because he prayed at youth camp. He prayed the prayer. And I know all my kids are Christians because they all prayed the prayer at five, six, seven years old in the bedroom with me before they went to bed. Let me rock some mamas. Sometimes those little prayers are nothing but little prayers. Don't hear me saying no young child can get saved. I don't believe that. Do hear me saying untold numbers of young children pray a prayer because they want to please you. And there was no conversion. Later in life, you start to see what they really believe, really want, and what their true condition is. Lights out, dead in their trespasses and sins. And you would be better off, mama, praying for their salvation than assuring yourself and them that you know they're a Christian, but they just hasn't, haven't made Jesus Lord. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Where's the ev- Not perfection. Don't hear me saying perfection. But oh my goodness, there's supposed to be a, a desire to not sin and a willingness to take radical measures. 
to not make it easy to keep sinning in that area. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Say you're here today and you're a man or woman that's struggling right now with porn. It's so available. My heart goes out to everyone. When I was a little boy, you had to find a magazine someone had thrown down in the woods. And that was bad enough because I found some. It was like somebody had their dad's stuff and left it there. And I was like, whew. I, I, even as a little boy, I just thought, I don't think this is good. I don't think I'm supposed to be seeing these things, but I like this. Poor little boys and girls today. It just, it just comes your way on your smartphone. There's just such access to it now. So listen to me. Here's what radical amputation looks like. If you struggle with porn, man or woman, have you put a filter on your devices? Have you asked someone to hold you accountable? And oh, wait where I'm going next. Have you considered getting rid of your smartphone? Oh, I couldn't live without a smartphone. People used to. You get a phone that flips open. Hello, all it does is make phone calls. And now that can't be a way you get these places. You're, you're willing to get wrapped because your smartphone is making you stupid. You're sinning in stupid ways and continuing down that path saying, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to keep doing this. How serious are you about not continuing down that path? What are you willing to cut out of your life? If you're in a sexual relationship you should not be in, you've committed adultery with someone at work, or you've, you're in an emotional relationship, you're that far from stepping across the line. I have counseled more than one person in my 32 years of being a pastor to quit their job. You're like, you can't do that. What if they can't find the same kind of paying job with the same benefits? Uh, what if they destroy their soul by continuing down this path? When someone commits adultery with their assistant, with their coworker, with someone they have to work with regularly, folks, what are the chances this will not happen again? I have counseled people, quit your job, get another job, let's trust that God will provide. I want them to get out of that situation because I don't want them to continue down that path. You say, but Brad, that's radical. Yes, that's Jesus in Matthew 18, verses eight and nine, right? Did cut it, because he's not, please know this is hyperbole. He doesn't mean cut off your hand, cut off your foot, pluck out your eye. I was teaching in a men's retreat years ago and there was a man there that had no arm from his elbow down and he so struggled with sin that he had taken this verse literally and ran his arm through a lathe and cut it off from the elbow down guess what he was still struggling with the same sin you can cut off limbs until you're a bloody nub and still have a sinful heart it's the heart he's talking about get radical and amputate things from who are the people that you end up doing these things when you're around them. Where are the places you go that it's more likely to happen? Get radical and be willing to amputate those things that make it easier for you to sin in that same way. Maybe you're mishandling your finances, your covetousness, you're covetous, you're greedy, you're in debt, you're frustrated, you're a mess, but you still have all these credit cards. Listen to me. I do not believe credit cards are sin. I have one, I wanna get miles. But listen to me, if you're in trouble, you might need to have a little credit card party and, and grease yourself a cookie sheet and preset the oven at 450 and when the timer goes off, ding, 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 lay those little things out on that and slide that sheet in and shut the door and watch them bubble and all run together in one big mess to the glory of God. 
and say, I'm going cash. When the money runs out, the spending stops. People used to live that way without smartphones and without credit cards. And you saved for what you wanted to get. And you, when the money was gone that month, you stopped spending and you chewed on a root and you ate bark. And you figured out, you know, but we got people still buying a $6 Starbucks drink and they're in debt and they're in trouble because whoop, it's just that easy. How radical are you willing to get in your fight against sin? If you know that you are guilty of abusing alcohol, you don't just drink in moderation, but you consistently drink too much. And it really is a false refuge. I drink to the extent that I want to get that warm, happy, fuzzy feeling. Rather than turning to Jesus, I don't even mean like lampshade on your head, throwing up, fall down drunk. But if you were honest, you know I'm abusing this. I'm using this in ways that it should not be used. We are not the church that teaches alcohol is a sin. We are the church that teaches don't have a false refuge. And it might be sin for you. And you say, I shouldn't even have it in the house. I'm not going to drink because I consistently abuse it. I'm going to cut it out of my life. Radical? Yeah. Biblical? Yeah. Most biblical. I could go on. Are you getting the point? Do you need more illustrations? Suddenly we have nothing left. No credit cards. No smartphones. No alcohol. No job. Okay, Brad. Wow. Hopefully the deacons and the benevolence team are ready to assist everyone. (laughs) Oh, let me give you another one. You watch too much TV, and 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 it's too much. It's either too many bad things, because news alert, you don't have to actually go to a porn channel to see what I think today. It's porn. The sexual encounters that are being shown, it's porn. There's a series that I was watching that I just stopped this past week. I said to Vicky, no more. The sex scenes are so graphic and so inappropriate with biting each other and now and the psychiatrist is saying pain and pleasure go together. I don't need to be influenced to think that's normal. It's not, so I shouldn't see it. I wanna see the people shooting each other and cutting arms off and chasing, but, I, but all of a sudden I'm afflicted with this and I have to go stand like this just in case Garrett, my son, walks into the room. I don't wanna see it. I don't know how to fast forward it yet. It's like, done. I shouldn't watch this series anymore because I don't want that going into my head and my heart. Guess what? We didn't used to have Netflix. We didn't used to have Amazon Prime. We didn't used to have cable. If you're in trouble with TV, kill cable. Kill Netflix, kill Amazon Prime, and you got three channels. Ooh, not much going on there, eh? That might help you go other places with your time and your heart. Oh, Brad, but that's radical. Yes. It's biblical and it's what Jesus is talking about. How serious are you about putting to death sin in your own life and making it hard? You want to inconvenience yourself. You're putting hurdles and hedges in the way of how is it that I end up in those places I shouldn't be? So back it up and say, oh, I'm going to get radical and amputate this perhaps from my life. Friends may mock you and say, really? Your savior will cheer you on. He'll be saying, look at that, look at that. Come here, cherubim, seraphim, check it. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. 
Your friends, even Christian friends, may mock you and say, you don't need to get that radical. Jesus, your Savior, will be cheering you on. Oh, man, we want, we want to be, we're pursuing holiness. We want purity. But let me show you where Jesus goes next. So we start with your own fight of, in sin. But this fight should include a commitment to loving one another enough to speak to each other about sin. I mean, we live in a day-to-day that loves to, inside and outside of the church, it's supposed to be, I won't talk to you about your sin, you don't talk to me about my sin. And the verse that's loved to be quoted is Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. After John 3, 16, I do believe that's the most known and quoted verse. But it's quoted out of context. He's not saying you don't ever judge. He's saying don't don't judge what you think they're doing until you've looked at yourself first. Same thing we're seeing in this. Because if you keep reading, he's like, hypocrite. First, get the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see more clearly to help your brother. With We're supposed to be helping each other. Just don't do it until you are getting serious about your own sin first. He doesn't say don't ever do it. Don't go there. We must The family of God, Jesus never intended for the family of God to be that family that pretends there's no problems. And they're peace fakers instead of peacemakers. It's like, we just don't wanna go there. We don't talk about it. You may have grown up in a family like that. You may be in a home like that now. But that's not how God ever intended the family of God. He knew that there would still be sin, remaining sin. And he said, Start by killing your own and then help each other. Speak to each other. Now, I'm actually hoping, and don't hear, again, don't hear me saying we're doing this series because nobody's doing this right. No, 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 no. I see this going on in our family far more than a lot of churches. But we gotta keep seeing it from scripture. Why do we do this? Because some of these things are hard. Some of these things are not what your flesh would want. And I actually hope that we'll be doing this with each other what Jesus is talking about, so let me help you with some guidelines and guardrails before you just rush in. And I'm gonna gonna unpack them from this passage and I'm gonna reach outside this passage for a few more principles to bring in as we think this through. So get a hold of this verse. Number one, you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. That whole notion, well, am I, yeah, you are. Look at verse 15 again. Because we are family. That's why we are one of those keeper. Look what Jesus says. If your, what? Brother sins. And he uses the Greek word adelphos. And that was a term in the Greek for a sibling in the same family. So he is indicating by using that word, we as believers are brothers and sisters in the same family. And when you're family, I don't know about you, It's not okay to just leave things broken. And you don't just say, I don't care. Because I don't care about them. Do whatever you want. I don't care. I don't hear people talk that way about their spouse or sons and daughters. It bothers them when something's broken. It bothers them when something's not right. Jesus calls us to care for one another like you do your own biological family. But here's what I wanna reach out and bring in. Before you go and talk to another believer, as Jesus is telling us in verse 15, before you go 
Make sure you've given love a chance to cover over it. That's number two. Choose to love first and then to go only when and if necessary. Choose to love first. First Peter 4.8. Above all things. That sounds like a priority. Sounds really important. Above all things have fervent, what? Say it again. Love for one another. Why? What happens when you have fervent love for one another? For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now he's not talking about cover up. I'll help you embezzle money. I'll help you pull off consistent adultery and deception. The, what he's talking about is you just let some things go. There's some things that you just let go because of love. You don't have to confront everybody over everything. Because I hope you know we're such sinners, we wouldn't be doing anything else. So the scripture doesn't say every time there's any little thing that bothers you and you think you've been sinned against, go, 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 go. We don't have time to evangelism. We're, we're confronting other, one another with sin just day and night. No, first love covers, and, it, and it's fervent love. It's the Greek word ektene that is a picture of a horse straining and stretching in full gallop. Have you ever seen that with the neck muscles and the flanks? And it's quite an amazing thing to see. He's like, that's the kind of love you should have. So here's what's interesting. Our fight against sin in our own life is not to be half-hearted. Our love for one another cannot be a superficial, half-hearted love. So this whole concept of helping each other with sin, it only goes well when you're working on your own sin first because then it changes how you even see them in their sin. And it only works well when you truly love one another. So we're not looking for all of you that feel like you're truth sayers. I'm a prophet. It's my gift. I love telling people about their sin. Why don't you just stay right over there and please don't participate because if you don't love people, you won't do this right. Fervent Love that covers over a multitude of sins. So you can't be that people person, I call it see it and say it. The see it and say it approach. If I see it, I'm gonna say it. My job is to point out to you every time I see you sin. I hope that'll help you. If you're doing that in any relationship, your marriage or any, how's that going? Right? And That's not what he's talking about. You let some things go. And then the principle is, here's how I'd like to say it to you. Your first thought is, can I cover that with love? But if that sin keeps kicking the covers off, sometimes there's a sin that it's a repeated pattern. It's just happening so much, or you've tried to cover it with love, but you just can't seem to get past it. You think you're gonna get bitter. I better talk to them about this. Does that make sense? First thought is, can I cover it with love? I know, we have a better marriage today. Yes, I've talked about that, to where I think she truly loves me and I truly love her. It's not because now I'm a perfect husband and she's a perfect wife. It's because we assume the best about each other and when some things still happen that are just like what used to happen years ago, our first thought is, let it go, laddie, let it go. And sometimes I'll go back to her to ask for forgiveness and I'll find that she already went to the bathroom, got on her knees before the porcelain throne and said, oh God, help me. I'm gonna let that go. I'm not talking about I just hit her in the face. I'm talking about just, you know, sin. 
I cut off a sentence, I was too harsh, I, and then God begins to convict me, but she had already chosen to let it go because it's not a pattern that characterizes me anymore, but it is a sin that shows up from time to time. Does that make sense? When each of you, your first thought is, I think I'm gonna let that go because I love them. Oh, that helps. That helps. You gotta have that in place first. Love. And you say, Brad, then how do we know? So how do, we, how do we do this? How do I know when to go? Here's how I would say it to you. You have to be growing in fervent love and you have to be growing in biblical wisdom. Love and wisdom. And say, God, help me to know when I should go. And it should be driven by... I love them so much, I think I'm gonna go because of how this sin is impacting them and others around them, not just me. Sometimes when we make it all about us, we go too often and with the wrong heart. But let me show you something else critical. Christians fail to grasp. Number three, woo, make sure it's a sin that you're going to talk to them about. We love to push everything that bothers us that we disagree with into the category of sin. Well, that's a sin, and that's a sin, and that's a sin. It's all sin. You're just one big sinner. Make sure it's sin and not a preference, that they may have just a different preference about music or a different preference about Santa Claus. Gasp. And they've chosen to have a Christmas tree and bring the bearded man in, and then if you don't want to do that, don't do that with your kids. But don't consider that sin, Halloween, Santa Claus, school choice, music, sin. If your brother, say it, sins, sins. It's not just annoying behavior and lack of etiquette. Sin, sin, sin. But once you've decided it really is a sin and that you've tried to cover it over with love, but it's Sin keeps kicking the covers off. Don't wait. Don't wait to go. So that word in the Greek, go there, literally in the Greek is translated, be going. Be going. As soon as you realize, I'm not getting past this. Oh, the covers keep getting kicked off. Don't wait and say, well, this is such a pattern and this is so bad. They should realize it and they should come to me. Oh, don't do that. Be going. Don't delay. Be going, be going, be going. In other words, number four, don't wait for them to come to you. See, I'm gonna reach back to Matthew 5 and show you where Jesus addressed this similar issue of unreconciled relationships. And he couches his comments. It's so serious and he wants you to have a sense of urgency that you don't let these things just go and grow bitter. That he couches his comments in Matthew 5 in the context of worship. Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, don't play the I'm gonna wait and see if they come to me game. It doesn't matter whether it's your sin against them or their sin against you, it's always your move. So I I watch people get stuck, well who's supposed to go? If you know, the one who knows goes. You like that? The one who, so if if you know, they they have something against me. If you know, I have something against them. Now let me 
Let me give you a category that is not addressed in the Bible. He doesn't say to go with it. If you know you hate someone and they don't know you hate them, don't go. There's no verses that talk about that. If there's someone you have hated for years and they're clueless, they don't know, and you get convicted about it, go tell them how you've hated them. But I've asked God to forgiveness and I want to ask you to forgive me. They now have all that information like, oh my word, why am I bringing this? Because it's happened to me. I've been hated by people, shouldn't surprise you. But I didn't know it and my wife didn't know it. She's had ladies come to her and I just wanted to let you know that I've hated you for the last two years but God's convicted me. I've asked him to forgive me and I wanna ask you to forgive me. My sweet little Vicky's like, oh wow, Great, now I hate you. I'm trying not to hate you, but I got a new fight to fight that I didn't know that I had to fight. I got enough going on. It, if that was a private hate, then you just have a little private confession time. Does that make ten- sense? You go when you know they know. They know it, you know it. So in either direction, if they know it, you know it, you go. And you don't play the game. I'm just gonna wait and see if they come to me. And let me help you. When you get there, Don't let it sound like this. Well, if I've hurt you, I'm sorry. Oh, there's so many things wrong with that. You're still not owning your sin. And you're actually calling into question whether we should even be having this conversation. It's kind of like if you're so pathetic that that upset you, well, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Own it. And don't play the numbers game. Well, I'm only 20% wrong. She's 80% wrong. They're over there doing the exact opposite, right? Own it. Please forgive me. You think through what part of that was yours, and you own it. Don't let let if be in there. Will you please forgive me? I've sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? But, oh, let me show you something else. The messes that could be avoided if we would all tenaciously commit to doing what Jesus says. Number five, talk to that person before talking to anybody else. Oh, this gets trampled across and violated by Christians and non-Christians alike. Look at what it says in the middle of verse 15. Look at it again. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Key phrase, Between you and him, say it. Say it louder. Say it like you just might do it this way. Alone. Oh, folks. The reason is obvious. Jesus wants peace in the family. He's the wonderful counselor, prince of peace. So, so many problems and messes could be avoided if you would just go talk to them first instead of talking to everybody else and say I I can't believe can you believe what she did it could be a misunderstanding it could be your misperception I literally know of an instance where two ladies were having a problem it was not our church it was a friend of mine and I think and this lady took offense that as she went over to ask this other woman about her vacation she'd been gone that she feels like right when she got to her as the service had ended, that woman stood up, threw her head back, and just rushed down the sidewall and out. And she's like, well, well. Now she's offended, and she's starting to, she found out later, have you ever had this? I've had this. The woman had been sitting there thinking, my left nostril's running like a faucet. 
This is so awkward. I gotta get out of here. I don't wanna leave during the message, but as soon as this thing's over, head back. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to blow my nose in the bathroom. Had nothing to do with avoiding you or treating you poorly. Now we got a mess going on, and all you needed to do was go and talk to them first instead of other people. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. Even if you ever do eventually go to the person, if you've already talked to so many others and given them your first and worst version of it, I find that most people never make it back to everybody they talk to to say, you know everything I told you about that? Here's what I actually found out, right? And now most people are left with the first and worst version that you handed out. In in essence, what have you done? You've slandered that other person. Don't hear me saying every time you go to them, you find out you misunderstood. Sometimes you find out, no, that's exactly what I thought. But is it not amazing, even if you're married, as you talk to your spouse, how often you just don't understand everything? Wow, this is how it works in our world. Communication is tricky, life is complicated, our perceptions are not always accurate. Oh, go to the person first. Talk to them, and maybe you, let me explain. Some of you might have wondered, sometimes you'll come to me. I mean, I've been here long enough that this has happened multiple times. You'll come to me and you'll start talking to me about another staff member or me about another person in our church. And I'll stop you. I'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Have you talked to them yet? No. Talk to them first. When I get emails saying, whoa, whoa, my, my answer back. Have you talked to them? I, I'm telling you what, the majority of the time, the answer is, what do you think the answer is? No, they're coming straight to me. Talk to them first. If it doesn't go well, then come get me or another brother or sister, but talk to them first before you talk to anyone else. And this whole matter of the family of God and working to keep relationships reconciled and moving together to fight sin and be unified and purified It's so important to God that there's multiple passages that address this. So so another passage that hits on this is Galatians 6.1. This should shape our thinking. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual should restore such a one. But here's the heart you should have. In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Gentleness. Gentleness. And notice, do you hear that, lest you also be tempted? What's packed into that phrase? Humility. This could be me. I could have done this. These are the kind of things that, now if you're sitting there thinking, oh, but it's not, it's never me, and I never do those kind of things, you've got a serious problem. All right? Because what is that? Pride. If you have yourself in a different category, if your thoughts just swirl with, I can't believe I would never, how could he? You're already in trouble. Your heart isn't right. You should always see how common and the same you are, not how different you are from them, or your heart won't be right as you say what you choose to say. Now, I'm gonna stop right there because I have next week, and I don't wanna rush through this, so I intended to go further than I've done today, but... I'm gonna stop right there because I don't wanna end with this. This is kinda heavy, this is kinda hard. 
but it's good. If unity and purity is, is God's top priority, this is good. So I don't want to rush through it. I've got next week, so please come back next week. But I think you've got some things to think about. I think you've got some things maybe that would change how you've been doing some of what you're doing. But in the final minutes, here's what I do want you to hear. I want to move your attention away from what we are trying to do to preserve unity and to move towards purity together as a church family and remind you of what Jesus has promised to do. In John 10, Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Oh, the great joy that we have and the confidence that we have as, is as we are trying to work on a horizontal level with each other for unity and purity, praise God, there's someone with more power and more grace working with all of us, committed to holding on to us. But here's what I want to push since this series is Church Family Matters. Think about this. How does Jesus hold on to all of us? I know in an ultimate sense for salvation, there's that eternal sense, but I want to give you some other thought that I think is biblical. Do you realize that one of the ways Jesus holds on to us is when you make a commitment to say, I do, to a particular church family that has an address and a location to consistently attend there and submit there and get to know brothers and sisters there? So that the hands and feet of Jesus, in a real sense, are other people holding on to you. And it gives you an opportunity to hold on to other brothers and sisters. That's why when Jesus calls you to himself in salvation, he calls you to the family of God in sanctification and growth. He did not think you would be okay just on your own. He does want to hold you fast, but one of the ways he holds you fast is in a church Family, where you get to hold on to others and others are holding on to you. Through his bride, he holds us fast. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for our savior. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word and thank you for the family of God. May we think that it's important enough and it matters enough that we would put forth effort to get serious and radical about our own sin and then to love others enough to humbly and gently pursue others and come alongside others to hold on to brothers and sisters to likewise pursue pursue purity. Oh God, thank you for the family of God. Thank you for what you are doing that is far greater than anything we're trying to do. Our hope is in you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.